welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, what an exciting uh, day this is. There's two uh, occasions in the year when we kind of stop and take stock and just ask how we're we doing, what's God saying, where are we heading, what's going to cost us. Uh, the first is in March at, on Vision Sunday and the second is in September, Mission Sunday, and that is today. And today is very much part of a process uh, with you know, a lot of prayer, family business meeting, elders meeting, trustees meeting, and I, I just wanted to try and, out of all of that, gather together a few of the thoughts of what we sense the Lord saying and doing. A few years ago, uh, before I was married, so a lot of years ago actually, I went on a lad's holiday to uh, this place just on the border between France and Switzerland called Annecy. And Annecy is a very pretty place. You can see Mont Blanc, there's a big old lake, uh, and there's lots of Swiss French people. And we decided to go out in pedlo boats on the lake. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever been out in a pedlo boat. Keep your hand up if it's the most exciting thing that you ever did. Uh, <laughs> It's like you, you find yourself in this boat and, and you realize I'm, I've committed myself to half an hour peddling a primary colored uh, plastic toy uh, and it's, it's hard work and boring. So uh, we ended up doing what British people always do abroad, which is we started a great naval battle and uh, attacked each other and then, and, and then got very wet. So we ended up diving into the water fully clothed and, and um, Swiss French people were standing around the bank looking shocked. Um, mending watches, eating, you know, eating chocolate, yodeling, the, the stuff they just casually like to do. And, and eventually our half hour was up, so we swam ashore fully clothed, pulling our, our pedalos behind us. And um, I realized we've we got to get changed in, 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 in public, and that's always a traumatic thing to have to do. I find that, you know, you have the towel around you, don't you? And then you desperately try and slip your your pants on, and you, 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 have you noticed your big toe suddenly becomes enormous and catches your pants? Uh, in your bedroom every morning, it's fine. You pop them on and off, no problem. But when there's a towel around you, and so I, 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 I thought, I'm not an idiot. I know my, my, my friends here are going to try and embarrass me if I try and get changed. I, I'm going to go and find a, 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 a toilet to, to, to get changed in. Uh, just raise your hand if you've ever been in a, a French... Toilet, public French toilet. Keep your hand up if it's the best toilet experience of your life. They just they don't do they don't do them well. They really don't. And, uh, and so I wasn't looking forward to the dirty French public toilet. I, I, I went back to the car to get my dry stuff. It was parked in a multi-story car park below ground level, and I followed the signs to Les Toilettes. I know I am a, a linguist. And these took me to some elevator doors. I figured, fine, the toilet's obviously on another uh, level. So I pressed the button, the, the doors opened, and in front of me was this just beautiful, it was, a be- it was a beautiful elevator. It was light and bright and clean and, and empty. So... Um, 
Do, do you ever do things and your brain is like about working a bit slower than your body and you're going, what are you actually doing? Like, I stepped into this elevator and found myself as the doors shut, doing the most terrifying thing. For no apparent reason, I took my clothes off as the elevator began to move. And I, in a panic, I grabbed my dry pants. Like, and, and I just got them caught on my big toe. I was completely naked except my big toe, which was perfectly covered. <laughs> and at that moment, the whole elevator went light. And I found I was, I was in a glass elevator. <laughs> which was the, sh the centerpiece of a French shopping center. <laughs> the, there were shoppers, ooh la la, you know. I hit, I hit the floor, I was pressing down, down, and, and I, I was half-dressed and deranged with shame by the time I escaped, and I didn't get arrested. We all sometimes, in the panic of the moment, fail to think clearly. We, we, we sometimes all need to stop and look around and, and try and take sober judgment on our environment and ask questions like where are we actually heading? Why are we doing the things we are doing? What is going on around us? In life we need to look carefully, think clearly and pause regularly to take stock. And so that is the exercise we are doing as a church family today. And uh, I want us to turn therefore to our great north star, the word of God. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 10 and the words of Jesus. Luke 10, 1 to 5. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. Jesus sends out 72 disciples, 36 little mission teams, to all the towns and places where he is about to go. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus' impulse, his instinct is to send people out on mission, wave upon wave, because he shows us that our God is a missional God. To be a follower of Jesus is to be a missionary in our workplace, our street, our family, wherever he has placed us. I see that in this church. One of the things I love about this church, uh, just in, in, in Woking just now, a, a, a lady called Lindsay, who, who you know, she, she, um, she was taken along to church uh, on, on Father's Day this year because she was going through a lot of anxiety and depression. And she experienced the peace of God. She just experienced the presence of God. Like no, no medication had ever given her what she was experiencing. So she messaged me and said, what was that all about? And, and a conversation began. And she's now fully given her life to Jesus. Uh, 
you know, and, and, and she was sitting there and she stood up and she said, I, I, I want to share the good news. I want to share what I found. And I asked God this last week, could you give me somebody who I can tell about you? Maybe invite them on Alpha. And then a friend of hers this last week got in touch with her and said, I'm struggling with anxiety and depression. I know you've been through that stuff. Can we meet and have a coffee and maybe you can tell me what's helped you? So she thought, this is the answer to my prayer. So they had coffee together. And eventually she gathered up the courage and said, have you ever tried God? <laughs> the woman said, no, but I'll try anything right now. And so she said, well, look, I'm about to start this thing called Alpha. Why don't we do it together? And her friend said, great, let's, let's try God together. You see, this is the missional impulse. The Holy Spirit fills us with a desire not to sort of vaguely survive as Christians, but to carry the good news out. He is still sending people out. And, um, you know, we see this locally. We see it in the nations. Standing right there this time last week, uh, a lovely lady many of you all, uh, have come across called uh, Hima Bindu Peter, who's been part of this church for a year. She's from Hyderabad in India came up to me and said, I've actually got to go back to India now. Would you pray for me, Pastor? So I prayed for her, and she started weeping. And um, I, I told she she was drawn into one of your collectives. She used to cook fantastic Indian food for you all. And uh, Sammy said, oh, no, Hema did Alpha. And what was amazing, she did Alpha. She, she brought her neighbor with her. I thought, wow, here is a woman, only here for one year. She's from India, ostensibly a Hindu country. In the UK, ostensibly a Christian country, every cultural and every other excuse in the world just to, you know, survive as a Christian but keep it quiet. But instead, she has shared her faith with her neighbor, invited her neighbor, and brought her on Alpha. What a beautiful example of that missional impulse. In August, we were meeting here, end of August, and David Yegnazar, who's here today, sent me a little photograph. It was this. Next, uh, I think we've got a picture of the baptisms. No, not that one. Oh, not that one. Not that one. Next one. Have we got a picture? Oh, no. Never mind. He sent me a terrific picture <laughs> of, of 170 people in Iran about to get baptised. 170, you know, this is the world's great Muslim theocracy, Iran, and people just turn into Christ. We have this great missionary momentum, this missionary God. And, uh, you know, it's significant that Jesus sends 72 people out. This wasn't just a random number. Well, how many can we muster? Oh, we've got 70, 72. It was significant. When Jesus chose 12 disciples, it was because there were 12 tribes in Israel. And he was saying, hey, why don't we start a new nation? <laughs> Let's redeem each of the tribes. You can each redeem one tribe. That's why it's 12. He chose 72 for a couple of reasons. The first is that in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, Moses chose 72 elders over Israel. So Jesus is saying, I'm the second Moses here, and I'm sending you out as elders to exercise spiritual authority in every town and place where I'm about to go. And so you are sent by God, not just randomly, 
but as an elder, as a priest, as a prophet, as someone to exercise authority in your workplace, in your street, in your uh, family, or wherever it is. Now, we often think about that in terms of church planting, and I'll talk about that in a second, but this really does outwork in the workplace. Let me give you one example. Um, and I actually need to turn the recording off at this point, please, if that's all right. He sends us as elders. Each of us has to puzzle out prayerfully, what does it look like to exercise spiritual authority in my workplace? The other reason that the number 72 is significant is that in Genesis chapter 10, and Jesus knew his Bible very, very well, that is the number of nations listed in the world. And so he's choosing the number of people that there are nations in the world. Why? Because this isn't just a local mission. He is preparing them for global mission. This parochial mission to local towns is training them for a global mission to the very ends of the earth. And we see that in Matthew chapter 28, another of his great mission pushes, where he says, go into all the world." And teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Disciple nations. And then start of Acts, he says, Jerusalem, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And so we are trying to take the good news of Jesus into all the towns and places around this region. We have this vision to reach uh, all the conurbations of 70,000 or more within about half an hour's drive of here, that's our patch. That's where we are trying to outwork uh, this message. He sends us out. But there's a sense, even in doing this, that he is training us even for the nations. It is wonderful in this church to have uh, so many global mission partners uh, already. Uh, we have uh, Phil and Anna in Skopje, Macedonia, and we have David and Joy James uh, working with the Bangladeshi community in Tower Hamlets, London, and we have Francis McLaren in Neubrandenburg, Germany, which is the, the place in Germany with the highest rates of atheism, and uh, we have... Um, Rachel Slade, who is just about to go to Athens to work with uh, refugees. We have Ian Nicholson locally, but his mission is to Woking Football Club, where he's a director and a chaplain. And so we, we are thrilled to send these mission partners out. And, and as we keep growing, as we keep, um, you know, and it has, it has been an amazing process. Let's just pause for a second and, and, and think about the fact that we've come from a handful of people in the back room of a pub not many years ago to then we had to move into a little theatre. Then we couldn't fit there, so we had to start a second service in that theatre. Then we couldn't fit there anymore, so we moved into this theatre. Then we started an evening congregation. Then we planted Woking into the lighthouse. Then we couldn't fit in the lighthouse and Woking anymore, so they've moved into Ho Valley School. Then we bought uh, the Founders Studio over the road in May uh, this year. And uh, as we look forward, look ahead, um, in January this year, we are planning to start a second service uh, here at the Yvonne Arnaud in the morning. So there will be a 9 a.m. and an 11 a.m. Take your pick. 
uh, and there'll be a 10 a.m. in Woking, so it'll get even more fun in the mornings uh, for me. But, um, but 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., there'll be kids' work at both. Uh, we'd really encourage you to choose, choose your congregation and, and, and sort of stick with it a little bit because um, it gets a bit confusing if, if, if people chop and change too much. And we're already talking about, well, once, once we're filling two services in here, because we're pretty much full here today, uh, what should we do? Maybe we should start a 4 p.m. service sometime next year, because lots and lots of parents have got kids who do sport on Sunday mornings, and we haven't got a date on that yet. We want to just watch how things go. But all the time, we have to prepare for and handle and steward growth and the favor that the Lord is bringing. He is training us for something more. I see accelerated discipleship on many of us over this year. I see steep learning curves. I see people who have been leading collectives preparing to lead congregations. I see promotions at work to positions of influence. I see unexpected repositioning. How can I be so sure? Well, because we have a missional God, a disciple-making God, a God who trains us, and he says the harvest is plentiful, the hour is urgent, and he is with us and for us. And so as we keep you know, having to grow through different venues, I mentioned a minute ago that we, 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 um, we, we bought the Founders Studio just over the road there in May, which was amazing. We, we launched this big thing, remember, with Nehemiah, and everyone took their bricks, and, and then suddenly it's like we, we got a building. We're like, wow, that's amazing. I was so excited. And, and that venue is used every day. It's continually in use for everything from after-school clubs through to Alpha, and it makes meeting here work on Sunday. So thank you for all those who've made that possible um, and we now own the building and we thought what on earth do we do with it now so we commissioned a feasibility study and some uh, proper grown-ups did a feasibility study people know about lawyers and surveyors and all this kind of stuff um, headed up by uh, Sabine and uh, it just this is Simone I do beg your pardon this is Sabine well, thank you for your uh, invaluable part in that process but uh, Simone uh, and and um, and they, they've come back, and guess what? You will not be shocked, any of you who own your own house, or that it turns out to be quite expensive to try and do anything with the founder's studio, but we actually have got... That's, that's the bad news. The even worse news is we actually do have to do something with it because it, it's going to fall over or something otherwise. So uh, take, a, take, take a look. at the, here, Here's the basic minimum of what we've got to do. I think we've got a slide uh, here. Uh, this is just the, what they call the essentials. That's sorting out the plumbing and the electrics, uh, filling in that little gap there where the carport is, putting a new kitchen, um, double glazing it, and, and, and so on. And, and, and all of that is going to come in at 300 grand. Uh, so, and, we, and we've basically just sort of got to do that. And we have got some of that money saved, but not all of it, so we really need help. But what we'd like to do is more than just the minimum with it, because we feel like that building is fantastic. To have that footprint in the centre of Guildford, uh, we want to make it look somewhere that people think, oh, that looks lovely, I want to be in there. We want to have it as somewhere that people say, wow, the church is growing, and we, it can be a, 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 just a, a declaration of intent as well as a brilliant meeting place. And so um, if, what we'd really like to do is spend quite a bit more on it than the minimum 
minimum. And uh, that would mean that we would completely fill in that carport area and create more space down at the bottom. We'd reconfigure and redecorate the entire internal space. We'd sort out the toilets. Anyone noticed the, the aroma? That is not the aroma of Christ around the prayer room. Uh, heating. Uh, we need to sort out flooring, storage. We need to put a, an elevator in there. Just ideally, it would comply with the recommendations. Uh, and I think that's a good thing to do. We'd like to put a window in the north end there so that you'd have this stunning great view out over St. Mary's uh, Church there. And, and so we'd like to do a bit more. But it just depends. And really, honestly, we'll just find out how much people are able to give today. And that will determine how much we're able to to, to do. Uh, it'll be between those two parameters. If you want to ask more questions about that, just uh, say. But I will also say this. This is not our ultimate vision uh, in, in terms of buildings. Our ultimate vision is we sense that God is calling us to have a, a, a home in, in, in Guildford that will probably need to be about 32,000 square foot. It'll be a place of prayer, primarily, but it will also have an auditorium that can seat 1,500 people so we can get the whole church together. It'll, it'll be a conferencing facility for the city. Uh, it, it will have, you know, social transformation center and offices and all kinds of stuff. And it's quite likely that that will have to be, not necessarily, but quite likely because of planning. Lots of you have been emailing me suggestions. The great challenge is they don't like changing planning permission on buildings. So if it's currently a shop, it's very hard, for example, for us to get permission to do something different with it. But we are pushing every door. We are looking at all sorts of options. A brilliant team headed up by Andy Hodgkinson. And we are excited about that vision because we believe it will facilitate the mission that God has given us. And one of the things we've got to make sure that we don't do is spend so much on found that we don't have enough money for that, which we think will hopefully be within about the next uh, five uh, or so years. And, um, but when we have that, it will become even more useful to have a centre like this in the town centre, and we will be able to use it for anything we want. We might make the whole thing a prayer centre. We might make the whole thing a social transformation centre. There's lots we can do with it when that day uh, comes. And so we would really appreciate it if you are able to give generously to these uh, important and exciting things today. But of course, our vision isn't for buildings, but for people. And as I bring this together and into land now, I just want to give you three specifics that we find in the words of Jesus here. In fact, it's literally three words uh, that I think give shape to where we are seeking to go missionally as a church. The first one is this, ask. Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Our mission must begin with prayer. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The kingdom of God is, is not a matter of words, says the Apostle Paul, but of power. And so this is not just some marketing program for some religious product. This is spiritual warfare. And Jesus says you must begin in prayer with asking. And we had the most amazing reminder of this supernatural faith that we caught up in recently. Where, where's Linda Den? 
Uh, Linda, come on down. Uh, oh, I think we might have gone a bit too far forward on the slides here. Can we go back one? You, this is Chris and Linda. You all know Chris and Linda. And uh, we've slightly spoiled the punchline here, but come on, come on down, Linda. Um, Linda messaged me to say the most amazing thing has happened. And I, I was absolutely stunned. So, Linda, just, just, just tell everyone what happened. Um, on the 18th of June, just after wildfires, I woke up and I was brushing my teeth and I had a gold tooth in my mouth. And we've got, we've got the picture there, you've, you've <laughs> seen it. And, and that, was there a gold tooth before? No, there wasn't a gold tooth. I had um, a silver dull filling crown, so half a crown filling in, in the, on that tooth. But I had to look again and I had to check with Chris and check with all my kids that it actually was a gold tooth and it's still there. And why do you think that happened? Um, I don't know. I took a long while to ask God. I was, I guess I was really shocked. Um, you would be. I, <laughs> and I just heard God say, because I can, um, which is fine. Uh, and I think I've spent the last couple of months really praying about it and seeing, asking God why, because it's not something I asked for. I did actually have a conversation with Stephen Backhouse at Wildfires, who'd also had a, a gold tooth. But I felt it was just a gift. I had been asking God, I suppose I'd been missing God for a while in my life. And when I went to Wildfires, I found him again. Um, and I just see it as a gift of just something that he's given to me to just say that he's still here. And I see it as a, I don't know, when we have friends in our lives who give us presents. We ask for some things and we don't always get what we want, but they give you something randomly that you love. And every time you see it, it reminds you of them. So every time I open my mouth, every time I brush my teeth, God is there. That is just extraordinary. I know, I know you've all got a million questions, <laughs> most of which I've asked Linda. And I got into terrible trouble. I said, how do you know it's gold? She said, what do you want me to do? And I was like, oh yeah. And then I said to her, have you got dental records? She said, Pete, there is a full gold tooth in my mouth that wasn't, what level of unbelief are you struggling with here? So I've been well and truly reprimanded. And I know it raises questions like, well, well God, why on earth would you do something so arbitrary when there are really important things we need you to do? I, I understand. But I'm just telling you, it happened. So go and have a problem with it, uh, be, be my guest. So thanks, Linda. We're called to ask because this is a spiritual uh, battle and not a religious program. We're called to be a house of prayer for all nations. And Jill Weber is doing such a great job heading all of that up uh, for us. And I'd encourage you, this is where our mission begins. Do sign up for the prayer week uh, today. There's a few slots left. Do come along on Wednesday. We've got George Verwa with us in the Founders Studio for a Kingdom Come Prayer Night. George Verwa, if you don't know, is the founder of a missions organization called Operation Mobilization, which has gone to nations all around the world. He is an 
absolute eccentric, but he's probably one of the last great mission statesmen in the world today. He's quite old. So do come along. He's absolutely passionate. He's been to most of the nations we're praying for, and he is a man of prayer. Uh, and genuinely, uh, it's the most incredible thing that you can toot along to the founders and be in a room with George Verwa as he leads us in prayer for the nations. So do come on, on Wednesday. We'll pack it out. It'll be great. Jill's running schools of prayer every six weeks. You think I want to grow in prayer? Get along to that. Quarterly soul space retreats, prayer walking initiatives. There's lots of ways uh, that you can grow in this call to pray. Secondly, Jesus says, ask, but then he also says, go. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. He's sending us to every town and every place where he's about to arrive, to prepare the way, to plant churches. Uh, in, Alf, in Woking, they're, they're running a big push Alpha. They're inviting everyone in Woking on Alpha. They've put flyers through every door. They've prayer walked every street. And there's a billboard poster by um, uh, the station there <laughs> and Josh doing his meerkat impression in front of it. Uh, we've also just been given an amazing youth centre uh, in, uh, in, in Woking on the Barnsbury estate. And so there we are doing it all up. And, and, and we've gone to that because we can't just expect people to randomly walk in. We've got to go to uh, people. Um, and then uh, also uh, uh, Matt Davis, who's been heading up uh, youth and done the most unbelievably brilliant job for numbers of years, is moving across to become associate pastor at Woking uh, there with his wife Path. And um, we're thrilled that Joel Hughes is stepping into the breach and becoming uh, the youth pastor for Guildford. Matt's still going to oversee and backstop the youth work for one or two days a week. Uh, so he, he's not going anywhere, but he's growing and developing in his missional core. I've talked about the new services we're going to need to start here in Guildford over the next year. We're going to plant a, a church within a year, uh, another church. And um, uh, everyone wants to know where it is. Well, the word is starting to get out. We think that probably, unless the Holy Spirit does something very different, our next church plant is going to be into Aldershot. And uh, thank you. And the, and, 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 the, and the reason for that is, is numerous. First of all, we have a number of key families in that area already, in Aldershot and Camberley and Farnham and Farnborough around there. Secondly, it is an area of significant social deprivation. Uh, if you've been over there, you'll have seen. I mean, and it's, it doesn't seem to be getting much better. Thirdly, they are currently building 3,850 new homes in Aldershot, which is a big old mission field. Uh, fourthly, you remember when Joanna Lumley launched her big campaign to get the Gurkhas to this country, uh, and she won. The government changed its policy, and they came, and they all moved to Aldershot. Uh, there are now 6,000 Nepalese, uh, mostly Buddhists, in uh, Aldershot. We're cooking the most fabulous food. And finally, and uh, this may sound boring, but I think it's quite a big deal. There are, whisper it, affordable homes in Aldershot. I'll just throw that out there. Some people are suddenly going to get a call to Aldershot. We may use a slightly different church planning model. Uh, it may be that we, we open something like the Lighthouse in one of the boarded up shops there. 
and, uh, and just have a couple of collectors around it. We're not sure, but uh, that's part of our mission as we seek to go, to keep going uh, uh, with Jesus. And finally, he says, ask, so we pray. Go, so we plant and we push out Barnsbury and Alpha and, and Aldershot and new services. And then finally, Jesus says, peace. He says, when you enter a house, first say peace on this house. Jesus sends us out, not with big hobnail boots to advance some religious agenda, but as peacemakers to bring reconciliation to a broken world. Julian Adams, the prophetic dude who was with us in November, said there is an anointing on this church for peace. And reconciliation. And we see that. Many, many, we have a disproportionate number of people who are doing that professionally. I see Mervyn there with his work with CSW. I think I saw Christian Guy somewhere in here, what he's uh, doing with Justice and Care. I see Mick Brooks there and what he's doing in the realm of counseling. I could go on. The, the, the Pete Marsden, there's so many people even in this building now who are peacemakers. And we're sent out to make peace in the name of Jesus. And, um, you know, there's a lovely, this is a, a lovely picture. I'm sorry it's a bit pixelated, but Eric Jesperson in the local rag just honoring the way they've been making peace in Woking for 20 uh, years. And so we want to go into communities with an agenda, which is to transform society for the better. And uh, we've got lots of opportunities. A lot of you have been saying, what on earth are we going to do in Guildford? There's this brilliant lighthouse work going on in Woking. There's some very good stuff happening in Guildford. But how do we upgrade what we're doing amongst the poor and the marginalized and the broken here in Guildford? And I, I'll be honest with you, we, we've been pushing a lot of doors. We've had some challenges. But we've started to make progress. And we have three clear options, uh, most of which are going to need some funding. One is, amazingly, the council have come to us now and said, um, we have all these community centres that are underused. Would you be up for rolling your programmes as a church into some of our community centres? Which could be utterly amazing. So we are looking at that. It's not without its complications, but that is an advanced conversations now to the extent I can tell you. The second uh, thing that's happened is a very generous businessman has come to us. Uh, with a, he's got some, some money he needs to invest. And he said, the way I want to invest it is I'm going to give you some money to buy a small uh, property. Uh, on one of the, it could be on one of the housing estates where, where a lot of the need is concentrated. Uh, to run some kind of a, a social transformation ministry. And it, you can have it for free for five years, and then I'm going to need it back in five years' time because I'll need, I'll need my money back. And so that's a really exciting possibility that, again, it, we haven't signed on the dotted line, but it's looking very, very, very likely. And then the third uh, thing, and as you, as you know, whether you look at Park Barn, Belfields, wherever, there is great need. The third thing that we've been talking about, this was Eric's idea, was what, could we look at some kind of a mobile uh, social justice um, kind of uh, model? Because the way Guildford works, as you know, is most of the social deprivation is pocketed on the different housing estates around about. And why limit ourselves to one? And so um, we could possibly deck out uh, a bus 
as a sort of mobile lighthouse where, you know, it could park up on one estate one night and be doing youth work. The next night it could be a mobile food bank into a particular street or housing estate. The next one of you might get a vision to, I don't know, run a marriage course on a particular estate. So we'll say, right, you can have the keys on Thursday. Uh, and so, and then also you talk about planting to Aldershot and all the other places we're going to plant. It can go in and begin to build community and relationship before we even move into the area. So that's a very exciting uh, model. The bad news is it's expensive. We've really, really done our research. And, to, uh, and we've talked to a lot of people who know what they're talking about. And to buy a bus and deck it out properly, because we don't want to do it badly, costs 85 grand. Uh, and then it costs quite a bit to run it. But if any of you want to, you know, back that, that'd be amazing. Uh, but we could do it a bit cheaper. We could do a trailer. That's the thing top right. That would be about 40 grand. And uh, all of this is just us trying to find creative ways of engaging with the poor and the broken and the marginalized and making a difference in their lives. And deep down, what I would most love is out of uh, our giving is for us to create a fighting fund for Eric and Rebecca and uh, of, say, 50 grand and just say, go do whatever you need to do. It might be that you need to spend that money decking out this house that we're hopefully going to be given for five years. It might be you want to buy a trailer. But do what you want to do because we know what they are doing is phenomenal and we just want to really get behind it. So Jesus sends us out to make peace. Julian Adams, when he was with us, said this. Get ready. God is about to shift the wineskin because the place where you dwell is too small. You will see acceleration. I feel there is going to be a supernatural grace in the area of financial generosity in this church. Because of the generosity of this church, there will be resources released for many different contexts. Don't live simply, he said, in expectation of visitation, because there is going to be an incredible grace on this church to release an army of professionals who will church plant. Not just here, but Europe is going to open up in an incredible way to this church. Your finances will not just go into buildings, because you will need buildings, but will also go into people who will resource regions. So I believe this is a moment for many of us of just taking stock before we rush into the elevator and get naked. Like pausing, going, where are we going? What's happening? How do we do this best? And I've said that our God is a missionary God. You are on a mission. You're sent out as an elder into your environment. We're sent out into the towns and places where Jesus is about to go. That's why we're church planting. We're sent out ultimately even into the nations. And I've said that Jesus invites us to, first of all, begin the response in prayer, asking, and then going. I've talked about some of the things we want to be able to do with that, and then bringing peace. And so um, we've got some very practical things that we would love to be able to do. If you are able to give, we want to be able to fully refurb and renovate founders. We want to be able to start these new services. We want to finish setting up the Barnsbury Center. We want to be able to give the Jespersons a fighting fund for social transformation. We reached a tipping point, I believe, um, earlier in this year when you amazingly uh, responded and more than 50% of the households in Emmaus started giving regularly. 
But as the church has continued to grow, we've slipped backwards. And one or two have had to stop for understandable reasons. And it's now 46% of this church are the households that give regularly. In other words, I don't want to be heavy on you. Most households in Emmaus don't give regularly. And, and if we could change that, we could change everything. God is with us. His favor is with us. We have enormous opportunities. And so I really want to encourage you to consider starting to give regularly if you haven't before. Even if you can only give a little bit, it's the heart that counts. If you're in debt, please don't. Sort that out. But if you're not, please start to put first things first. For others, this may be a moment where you think, actually, I... We want to increase what we're giving regularly. We've done the maths, and most of those who are giving regularly would be giving a lot less than, say, a tithe, which is the Old Testament principle. It's only a guideline for us. But can you put it up a little bit? Sammy and I put up our giving a little bit uh, whenever we have an opportunity like this. Sometimes only a little bit. Sometimes it's a bit more. And then thirdly, uh, maybe you're in a position to give a one-off gift. And it may be something you've heard about, so you think, I'd like to give towards that, but it really, really helps us if you don't mind just giving it to the whole vision so that we can strategically move forward and deploy our resources accordingly. I've tried to be clear about our mission. I've tried to be clear about some of the very practical things that we want to do uh, together and about the fact that we need to grow our income to do that. So if you're able to do so, I wonder if you could stand. Let's just stand together. And as I hand back to uh, Bill, we, we are just going to keep you a tiny bit lo longer. Uh, forgive me for that. Um, but uh, we, we, we want to just you know, take a few minutes now just to take up this offering. It's a really important part of our worship. Uh, but we won't detain you longer than we have to. But... As we, as we do this now, I just want to read you a, a couple of verses of Scripture to set the tone. And um, this is uh, the guidance from the Apostle Paul, uh, writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So if the Apostle Paul was standing here and he was in this moment about to take up an offering, we know what he would say to us. This is his very, very practical advice. He says this, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, he's talking about money, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And then he says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I don't want anyone to feel under any pressure today. If you're like, oh, I don't want to do that, don't. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Amen. If after listening to this talk, you would like to give to the vision of Emmaus Road, no pressure, but you can do so by heading to www.emmausroad.com forward slash give. 